0: Hello everyone, welcome to the
1: Katie Helper show. So great to see you guys. Um and I have with me Sam Alkoff joining the show again. Welcome, Sam.
2: Thank you for having me, Katie, and welcome to all of our guests and viewers from around the country and around the
1: world. I'm Katie Halper. You're listening to the Katie Halper. Um, talk about... Okay, just kidding. It's not good to open the show with inside jokes. Okay. Except everyone who watches this knows that joke. Well, I'm so excited because we have a really great and really important show uh, for you guys today. And it's going to be about the uh, expiration of the moratorium on evictions. So uh, we are having a bang-up show today. We're celebrating the newest achievement of Nancy Pelosi and the Biden administration. Uh, In September 2020, six months into the COVID pandemic, the Trump administration issued a national eviction moratorium order under Section 361 of the Public Health Services Act to temporarily halt residential evictions to prevent the further spread of COVID-19 temporarily. Initially from through the end of 2020, it's been expanded until, extended, sorry, until August 1, 2021, but the federal eviction moratorium expired Saturday, and with the Democratic Party recommendations and excuses, tenants across the country are bracing for impact. Speaker Nancy Pelosi exclaimed, "Really, we only learned about this yesterday. Not really enough time to socialize it within our caucus to build the consensus necessary." Outside Congress in protest, Missouri Congresswoman Corey Bush slept overnight on the steps of the Capitol to push the Congress to extend the moratorium. Visited by supportive members of the Squad, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Jamal Bowman, Ayanna Pressley, Congressman Jim McGovern, with Cory Bush calling the Democratic controlled House's failure to roll call vote on Congresswoman's Waters' extension, a moral failure. So to be clear, the Democratic Party controlled Congress, didn't just fail to extend the moratorium on evictions. They went on August recess, meaning that Democratic Party, led by Nancy Pelosi, failed to keep people in their homes and instead went home, where I'm sure Nancy is currently binging on chocolate ice cream. Tonight we have more guests uh, than a sweeps week episode of The Love Boat as we look at the policy and practice of what could be the biggest wave of evictions seen in this country since the Great Depression. And joining us first is Paul E. Williams, an economic graduate student at John Jay College and a fellow at the Jane Family Institute and a former housing policy bureaucrat. Welcome, Paul. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hi, thanks so much for joining. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Uh, Also joining us, we have Samuel Stein. Uh, Samuel Stein is a researcher who writes about the politics of housing and urban planning, and he's the author of Capital City, Gentrification, and the Real Estate State. Bringing you in, Sam, welcome.
3: Hey, good to see you both.
1: You too. And making her uh, Katie Helper Show debut as is Paul, to be fair, is Amy Cutlip, an independent data journalist and a housing rights advocate. And let's bring Amy in. Great. Okay. We're all here. Um, and we're running a little behind just so people know, in case you're in the green room and the backstage, we will bring, we'll be doing your segment shortly, but not quite as shortly as we had planned. So uh, we appreciate your patience. But uh, let's see. I wanted to first ask you, Paul, if you could set up what just happened. Um, I, I I noticed a tweet that you had where you basically uh, you, you tweeted, if I may quote, very silly to see White House push the moratorium to con- moratorium to Congress. They have full authority to extend it despite their vague messaging. Supreme Court has not ruled against it. One Justice Kavanaugh simply threatened to rule against it uh, if it came back to him, fine, call his bluff. Obviously the extension will not be getting past the filibuster in the Senate An executive extension from the CDC is the only way this is happening. But the admin is trying to be coy and say, our hands are tied when they aren't. So can you reflect on what you were referring to there?
4: Sure. Uh, so I think what it, I think what it, uh, All of this action the past week boils down to the administration realizing that the Delta variant um, put a lot of put some pressure on them to extend the moratorium. And so when they were considering, which, you know, there's reporting from Jeff Stein at Washington Post that there was deliberation in the White House about whether or not they could extend uh, the moratorium or not. Their question, what their question, what they were basing off of was the Supreme Court decision that was made at the end of June, where Justice Kavanaugh sided with the liberals in saying, I'm not, I'm not going to throw out the eviction moratorium right now. But he wrote in his opinion, if this came back to me again, I would strike it down. So basically saying, don't extend it again, but I'm going to let it go till the end of July for now. And what it sounds like the issue was in the White House was uh, was not that they couldn't extend the moratorium if they wanted to. like they they have, you know they have full authority to do whatever executive action that they want. What happens is, if someone thinks that that executive action was an overstep of bounds, then they can file a lawsuit like the realtors did for this case back in June and take it to court and let the Supreme Court decide if there was an overstep. So, the the argument that the White House's hands were tied is is absolutely not true. They they have the ability to extend this moratorium if they want to. Their calculation seems to have been, well, if we do, we know that it's likely Kavanaugh will throw it out, we'll will throw out the moratorium. And apparently they were worried that the Supreme Court would actually throw out all of their executive powers for public health orders. So CDC has all kinds of other powers, and they were basically afraid that all of that stuff would get thrown out if the eviction moratorium went back to court, Um, which, I mean, that obviously brings up the question of why are all of these public health powers on such flimsy legal grounds, right? Like, we're afraid to to extend this thing that we think we're allowed to do because we think it might uh, trash all of these other things that we know we need to be able to do. So it's it, it's uh yeah dumb position. And so then uh they just kicked it to Congress who they knew would have no ability to get it done and then when Congress couldn't get it done they wrote a letter to the nation's governors and said you guys fix it, you know, make your own moratoriums. So it was a big mess.
2: A big mess. Yes. Yeah. So can we go to uh Amy, for a second. Uh, Amy Cutlip, uh, you've written a bit about the uh, moratorium. Are you hearing me okay?
0: Yes, I can hear you.
2: Okay. Uh, Can you talk about the origin of the eviction moratorium? I have to say, I don't think that there's been another federal eviction moratorium in my lifetime. And so it felt kind of unprecedented to me. Can you talk about where this came from in the context of the pandemic?
0: It came down to states who were lifting their own local or state level moratoriums too early and the premature lifting of those eviction bans that originally were put into place around March until June or July, they were leading to an excess number of cases that were studied by uh, UCLA that found that those states who did have moratoriums and not every state did In fact, but those who had a couple months worth of eviction uh, moratoriums in place did see uh, 10,000 excess deaths and and double and double the number of cases in general. So the Trump administration ultimately decided to defer their authority onto the CDC because of their industry expertise and knowing that they had the power to wield uh, over the the entire country in saying that this is a public health crisis and the only way to ensure that the Trump administration was mitigating the spread of COVID-19 as best as possible, then a national moratorium would have to be in place so that the Millions of individuals who had lost their jobs due to economic downturn tied to COVID-19 would not be thrown out of their homes through no fault of their own, other than working in those sectors that were hit hardest by COVID-19 and were left with no money, no opportunities to pay their rent arrears. They were collecting outstanding debt. And because the economy was not recovering around September of 2020, the CDC did impose that federal level moratorium to protect as many tenants as possible to keep them sheltered in place.
1: And Sam, can you talk, uh, Samuel Stein, can you talk about the responses of the real estate and landlords?
3: Sure. I mean, the real estate industry and the politicians who support them have been itching to ditch this eviction moratorium for a a while now, uh, basically since they started the eviction moratoriums. and they trot out sort of sob stories of the most um, flagrant, you know, the worst tenants and the best landlords, and and those tend to get picked up in the media. Even though, um, first of all, it doesn't help anybody either individually or collectively for a lot of people to be evicted, and second of all, those really are fairly exceptional cases, both in terms of the you know horrific tenants and the deeply sympathetic landlords. Um, We've seen a consolidation of real estate capital into fewer and fewer hands. And so big landlords are really driving the agenda much more than the uh, sort of small, sympathetic property owner. Um, That said, the real estate industry has been supportive of rent relief programs, federal and state, because ultimately that's a way of paying them back uh, for their losses. So I think in, in their ideal, we would ditch the eviction moratorium but have a more efficient rent relief program. But in fact, we seem to be ditching the eviction moratorium without a good rent relief program. The federal government put aside almost $50 billion for rent relief, but very little of it has actually gone out. As of like a week ago in New York state, none had gone out. They, they just started um, sending out some checks and that's the case in a whole lot of states. So the money was allocated. It's not being distributed to either tenants or landlords. And we're about to see the the federal eviction protections disappear.
0: If I may real quick jump in and add that the federal government had two separate emergency rental assistance programs. One was allocated during the Trump administration, one during the Biden administration. The first ERA1 program has not even fully allocated all of their funds to the respected states. Bigger states like California and New York are still waiting to receive the remaining funds that have not even been doled out by the first ERA1 program, much less the second ERA1 program. So the government can't even say that they have done their job and their obligations to distribute all of the money that they owe to the states. They haven't even finished doling out their first emergency rental assistance program.
2: So Amy, there was the initial uh, eviction moratorium that ended at the end of last year, and then they extended it. And all I could find online was just something from the CDC saying, we're extending it. Now Pelosi is saying, oh, we didn't have enough time that we just got told about this the day before. How difficult would it have been for them to extend it yet again?
0: Because the Supreme Court ruled uh, well, they they ultimately presided over a case in Alabama with the National Realtors Association that did call into question whether the CDC had the authority to do what Congress can do, and that is regulate interstate commerce. That is ultimately what Brett Kavanaugh added into his decision, ultimately siding with the rest of the conservative uh, majority on the bench that... The CDC did not have the power to oversee or regulate any commerce that had ultimately taken away the ability to collect rent money from the real estate lobby. If the CDC would have extended for another month because of the because of the national uh, emergency because of the, the the national state of emergency that we are in with the spreading of the uh, Delta variant and the total number of cases that will ultimately uh, arise due to the slew of, of evictions that we are going to see, then that would have been well within the rights of the CDC because of the authority that had been granted to them by the Trump administration, by Donald Trump himself. Even if there was a a legal avenue in place for the Supreme Court to uh, strike down the CDC's extension. That would have bid uh, Congress a little bit of time to go ahead and step in with a plan of action because they do have the power to oversee the uh, the regulations of commerce, and only uh, only a matter of, of setting new parameters would have been necessary in order to create not only a CDC that that works well for everyone that did away with all of those loopholes that led to landlords finding a way to evict their tenants anyway, but it would have been extended until the end of the year. That's the plan that Maxine Walters has been trying to uh, propose for months now.
1: So just to go back to the issue of the Supreme Court, um, I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. At the, I mean, Kavanaugh said he he advised against it. But he hasn't like predicted how the court would rule, right? So Biden yeah. has a lot of daylight between, saying that they have their hands tied and doing uh, literally anything. Yeah, the,
0: the the decision made by the Supreme Court did not say that from this point forward, we are going to strike down the CDC's extension of any further moratorium. Brett Kavanaugh just kind of put out with legalese that he would ultimately vote against or uh, preside with the conservative majority that uh, that would ultimately th- Strip away as much power as possible from the CDC, without necessarily having that power to uh, to to say that Joe Biden could not use his own executive privilege and and uh, enact a new moratorium on evictions altogether. He could do exactly what Donald Trump had done. And And give the power to the CDC, in which case the CDC could have called for a national emergency on evictions because of the public health crisis and just start the process all over again. There's nothing standing in the way or would have been an imposition on on the part of of the Supreme Court's decision to not uh, to to not uh, lift the ban whenever it was originally set to expire at the end of June. That was the only deciding factor that did not, in any in any way, shape, or form, take away Joe Biden's executive privilege that he could have absolutely enacted or imposed. So, uh,
2: stepping Wait,
4: Paul, up,
1: you, I think Paul was uh, going to. Yeah,
4: respond. sure. So, I mean, I think uh, another thing is to take into account is just the history of this case and how it proceeded. So, just starting from the beginning, the realtors brought this case. the courts to federal court this spring and it finally made its way challenging the authority of the cdc to do an eviction moratorium through executive authority which is the way that it had been has been extended currently and the cdc uh made their arguments in defense of the moratorium to the court on june 7th is when they filed them and then on June 30th or so, the case was actually decided. The, the Supreme Court handed down their opinion where they basically said, We're not striking down the moratorium. Justice Kavanaugh, in his opinion, which was attached, which he sided with the majority saying we're not striking it down, but he also noted, I would strike it down in the future. Fast forward to a week ago, week and a half ago, um, now. Delta cases are like 90% of all COVID cases and COVID growth rate is, you know, over 200% in like, you know, more than 50% of counties in the country. Back on June 7th, when the CDC made their arguments, that was not the case. Delta was like 10% of cases. So in the time when they made their original, when the court heard the CDC's arguments for why they have the authority and our current situation, we've seen wild, rapid case growth and Delta going from like 10% of cases to 90% of cases. So the public health situation, which is what CDC is resting its feet on in its ability to make, to, it's saying, because of the public health situation, I have the authority to do this. That situation has drastically changed from when the arguments were made in the Supreme Court to currently. So that's another argument in favor of you know, the the White House's hands are not tied in the way that they're claiming.
1: Also, imagine if the White House had to, like, fight for this, the optics of this. Like, why is the Supreme Court denying uh, people roofs over their heads and creating a public health crisis? I mean, it's not that hard to imagine actually fighting for this. But that, sorry, I confused the Dems with the Republicans for a second.
2: So, I just, I to step away from sort of the the, uh, the D.C. side of this, there's both the national federal moratorium on evictions, and then there's also some states that have superseded that who've said, like New York and California have both said, uh, we're going to have our own eviction moratorium. And in Illinois. And Illinois. Um, but what are we talking about in sheer numbers? Like how many people on Monday, August 2nd are facing Uh, potential evictions. Do we have some sense of that?
0: We do. Based on just overall numbers, the Pulse survey that is conducted by the Census Bureau, they have been taking sample selections from households to rate the confidence of whether or not they can pay their next month uh, rents or whether or not they feel as though they are going to be displaced in two months' time. The total number of households who who have little confidence in their ability to pay their rent or have stated that they are behind on rent is around 7 million. The total number of individuals who would then be at risk for eviction is around 15 million, which means that there are a lot of, of children in those households who are most likely going to be at risk or most impacted by these eviction processes. That is the total number broken down by states. Uh, those with with moratoriums in place, they would be uh, protected for another month or two. But I did hear a rather staggering statistic that uh, non-white children are three times as likely to be evicted than any other individual of any other demographic. So this eviction moratorium lifted is going to have the greatest impact on lower income communities of color and specifically children.
1: So it's a housing rights issue, obviously a human rights issue, a health, uh, public health issue and a racial justice issue. Okay. Okay. Um.
3: Yeah, I've, I've oh, read that oh, one in five yeah. children in America also are at risk of eviction right now. I mean, this is massive in its scale. Um, Sam Alkoff mentioned that, you know, New York, for example, has its own eviction moratorium. And so tenants in New York um, are protected if the, the CDC moratorium expires, as apparently it has. Um, but New York's moratorium expires in a month. And New York state government had the chance to extend it. And we saw pretty much the same thing happen uh, where the governor uh, passed on it and the legislature, um, you know, they they ended their session without extending it. Um, And here we are one month away from uh, New York's millions of tenants being in exactly the same boat as the rest of the country.
2: So if I could just follow up with you, Sam. Some of the numbers that I've seen uh, is that since the eviction moratorium, something like 60 or $70 billion in rent has been withheld from, lawyer, from uh, landlords uh, across the country. Now, that's from them. So I don't know if those numbers are legitimate. And so I guess my question is, is twofold. One, short of guillotine, which only cost about $1,500 to make with supplies from Home Depot... How precarious is the class at this point? Are they at a point of vulnerability that we can push back on? And the, this, is, these are essential workers that are being targeted. This is children. This is people of color. These are the people who Biden ran on being empathetic for. What is the uh, political opportunity in this terrible crisis that people on the left and progressives should be looking forward to? Short of DIY guillotines, where you can find the plans very easily on Google,
1: Just I don't endorse that. <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, yeah, it is a tremendous kind of. If if you put it all together, it's it's a tremendous um, structural change, right? Every single case is sort of happening on an individual scale. One tenant can't pay their rent; it adds up to thousands of dollars in unpaid rent to one landlord. Um, But if you put it all together, yes, we're talking about billions of dollars in unpaid rent. The landlord's figure is uh, what you cited. Some other figures are a bit smaller than that. But no matter what, we're talking about two digits of billions, which is a hell of a lot of money. And I think that uh, this points out a few things. First of all, tenants have structural power. Withholding rent uh, puts a wrench in the entire gears of capitalism, given how much wealth is invested in real estate under the presumption that we will all keep on not only paying our rent, but pay more and more and more in rent or be replaced with somebody else who will. Um, second, that the private property regime in the United States is really heavily embedded in the legal system. And so uh, the laws are written to repay the landlords, and that's what these rent relief programs are intended to do. Another model would be to cancel rents and say, uh, you know, tenants, you're off the hook. Landlords figure out how to deal with this, which would ultimately redound to the banks because the landlords would not pay their mortgages. Uh, The banks could then look to the Fed for relief or they could eat it. Um, But we're instead seeing a a sort of political response where tenants are on their own. uh, There's money to repay landlords, but they're not really getting it either. For a number of reasons. Um, partly it's the inefficiency of having 50 state governments uh, distribute this separately. Partly it's uh, conservatives who made the um, the kind of demands for what it takes to get repaid so high that all sorts of people don't qualify or don't even know that they have the right to, to ask for this. Um, but there's also a sort of liberal counterpart to that, which is um, this language of making sure that the the most impacted tenants get uh, help first, ends up meaning that everybody has to prove just how impacted they are. And the most impacted people usually don't have the receipts to show just how impacted they are. And so you get this system that doesn't really work. Um, I think there's real opportunity for tenant organizing. I think it's happening already. It has been happening for years. This pandemic and the rental crisis uh, hits on really a moment of momentum for the tenant movement and we can't give up now and just say, "Well, the government isn't doing its job. We have to force them."
1: So, just uh, this has been so great, and I want to thank everyone for uh, coming on. But I wanted to ask each of you—I um, uh, guess Amy, then Paul, then then Sam—what uh, you think should be done. Like, what should be called for? Rent jubilee, rent strike. Um, I don't think the guillotines went over as well as Sam Malkoff thought. We in chat.
2: Look in chat. It went over really
1: well <laughs> in the private chat. Yeah, um, but yeah, what is your fine? What what do you? What should be done? What is to be done, so to speak?
0: Hey, I didn't say that I didn't like the idea of the okay, uh, DIY guillotines. Just to be clear. Okay, good.
1: <laughs> See what happens. Polling can be so misleading. I thought I had a, you know. Some say, some don't like it, but you're okay. You're right. Taking from
0: a smaller sample size, absolutely, you gotta you gotta control yes. for the uh, margin of error there. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I think that we should be fighting like hell and organizing a national tenant strike. And to be honest, I was too cowardice to even tweet that because um, I'm now fearful of uh, what could happen given that the Biden administration is now uh, surveilling leftists in the same capacity as right-wing extremists, but I digress. I I really think that it's insane to imagine that this maybe could have all been avoided if the government would have given every single person a $2,000 check per month. We would not be in this predicament. Yet here we are. If we were to do anything right now, given that time is of the essence, we don't necessarily have the time to organize a national tenant strike. We have to look to the power that can be wielded. And that is right now, unfortunately, in the hands of Joe Biden to reinstate the CDC moratorium, make sure that those loopholes that allowed for those, un, uh, those unwarranted evictions to no longer occur and ensure that there are protections that do last longer than the year's time that have been stipulated by the first ERA programs. That would be my best prescription, in addition to continuing to look to a ground game and grassroots coalitions that are looking to protect tenants in the future, that Ultimately, and if I may, I know I'm getting a little I'm getting a little verbose here, but California is actually working really hard right now to extend their their uh, CLT program, their community uh, land trust program that will look to decommodify our current uh, market in a way that will allow for non-traditional home buyers to buy into the market or go or move toward a shared equity program that would, act as a counter to our current market precarities that are incredibly exclusionary, incredibly high-priced, people are incredibly cost-burdened, and that can be done through local organizing at, you know, your city council to begin that process of demanding that the government give a, a better share of funding and more political power to those who have been historically marginalized, oppressed, and completely excluded from even the prospect of homeownership.
1: Paul, thank you, uh Amy. And I'll I'll join that call for uh, what was it? A tenant strike? Yes. All right. Well, They're safety numbers, so you just got another person. All right. So so Joe Biden can't come after both of us at the same time. <laughs> Take too much man you to. man Thank breath. you. Too much surveillance man <laughs> Um
4: I think I mean these these evictions, these people who are who have rent and debt right now somewhere between 10 and 15 million people. Those evictions are going to proceed unless the CDC extends their order. Like there's not something that we can do to stop them besides eviction moratoria. Um, and the money going out because the, the, the programs, the emergency rental assistance programs are basically like a fire hose going around. It has very low throughput, which is bad. And these, You know, you can you can blame it on the states because they are all disorganized and there's not a a national program to do it. But um, that's what they're doing right now is extinguishing rental debts. Um, The more money that goes through that program, the more rental debts are going to be extinguished and those people are going to be protected. But without the eviction moratorium, there's going to be all these people slipping through the cracks. And those people are going to slip through the cracks unless the uh, moratorium is extended at the national level. So that's, that's that. But I mean, you know, long term, big picture, uh, you know, I think that what we need is municipal and state governments to become developers and build massive amounts of publicly owned social housing. That's how we're going to get out of this mess long term.
1: And
3: Yeah, I, I agree with all of it. I, I think we need a, an everything at once kind of strategy. Um, we do need to be pushing for the CDC, well, for the Biden administration to force the CDC to take national action. We also need to be pushing for state level uh, eviction moratorium. We need to be fighting for that uh, rent relief to go out and we need to be organizing for much bigger things, whether that's uh, rent strikes in the immediate term or the kind of long-term social housing vision that Paul is talking about. And these two things can go together. Like we could see uh, a lot of landlords not get repaid the way that they need to be and go out of business. The people who take over could be the Blackstones of the world, the private equity firms, or the state can intervene and we can do social housing conversions and public ownership. These are two uh, viable models, and one is much better for all of us than the other one.
2: Sam, just before you go, can you just say very quickly what the Blackstone is doing?
3: Yeah. So Blackstone is uh, the world's largest private um, landlord. They are a private equity firm that uh, takes huge amounts of debt and buys up um, housing, among other things. And after the 2008 financial crisis, they bought up tremendous amounts of the housing stock all over the country. They and many other similar kinds of firms have raised money um, that they are ready to use when the opportunity presents to buy again. Most likely, that'll be larger scale rental housing as opposed to just single family homes like it was in the foreclosure crisis. So that's capital's plan. We need another plan and the power to win it.
1: Yeah. Okay. I second that. Um, Well, this was great. Any any final questions, points? Alcoff,
2: anyone else? No, I, but I think when Sam said that he supported everything that he heard so far...
1: Uh-oh. Here, <laughs> I heard support for on.
2: guillotines.
3: I, so, I believe Sam Alcoff once pitched the New York State Legislature on a bill called Death Penalty for Landlords. So this is not a new proposal. from
1: Sam. Oh, wow. Nothing better happened to any landlords. I, well,
2: then. what you have to do is you have to expand the Overton window. So what you right. do is you have right a... You have a... Um, uh, uh, legislation that you proposed that is uh, the death penalty for landlords. And then you meet them in the middle, which is not the death penalty and public housing for all and social, you know, socialized housing.
0: I like it. Mel was right. I think maybe. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Really. Thank you so much for all your time. People watching, don't go anywhere because we have another great panel and this was amazing. And um, yeah, Sam, Paul, Amy, thank you so much. And we'll put oh, all your you. social
2: media. Yeah, we'll in. put all your
1: social media in the in the YouTube description.
2: Yes, because people
1: want to hear more from and you. article stuff too. Yes, and Twitch streams in the case of Amy.
0: Thank you, appreciate okay. that.
1: Okay, okay. thank you so much. Hasta Bye. Tomorrow.